Welcome to the Be Loud About What Matters podcast. I'm Olivia, your host. On this podcast, I will be bringing light to topics that are important but not discussed enough within our society. Episodes will include a range of topics, starting with the journey to conceive, pregnancy, birth, postpartum and motherhood, holistic healing and nutrition, and the importance of true informed consent and medical freedom. The goal of this podcast is to create connections, share stories, information, and resources to educate and empower people in their own personal journey. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Be Loud About What Matters podcast. I am super, super excited to have today's guest on with me. I have Claudia on with me, and Claudia and I have known each other for almost a year now. She is one of the incredible mamas that I connected with in our homeschool co-op. And she is just such a wealth of information. She has two beautiful boys. And I feel like if there's any questions regarding birth or medical freedom or vaccines, I know that I can just reach out to her and she will have any and all information I'm looking for. Plus, she is just an incredible mama friend that I'm so grateful for to have in my life. So, Claudia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Would you mind sharing a little bit about you? Hi, Olivia. I'm so excited. Yeah, so I'm Claudia. I am a mama of two boys. One is six, or almost six, and one just turned three. And then I am almost 37 weeks with my third baby. Yay! I don't know what this baby is, so it's more for surprise. And if you told me five years ago that I would be passionate about medical freedom and home birth, I would think you're crazy. Um, but it has brought me the most incredible friendships and I just feel like I'm just tapped into the world and I'm just really grateful for this really hard crazy journey yes oh yeah. my goodness I know and I've talked to I mean mostly our friends about it and it can be a very like isolating journey and it can be really hard when you are talking about things that people may not want to hear about or may not want to talk about because they'd rather turn a blind eye to it or they don't know about these things because they've spent their whole lives learning one thing and a lot of people it's really difficult for them to learn something new and unlearn what they thought their entire lives so um, I'm incredibly incredibly grateful for you and the group of mamas that we have and the fact that we all get to raise these wonderful, wild, crazy, beautiful, amazing children together and raise them to ask questions and to really think about everything and to just use their voices. So I am so thankful for our group of friends. I totally agree. I have my my oldest one. He's now he's always asking the same questions and sometimes like the questions don't stop and I'm like, oh my gosh, but it's so good because we were reading a, a magic school bus book and they were talking about water filtration and they brought about fluoride and how it was good and he was like no that's not good and he was like i was like yes that's right <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing they, they really do soak it all in and yeah i have a teaching background and while i never taught little children i taught older students for a little less than two years and then esl for adults but i have never seen children so healthy as the children that I see in our co-op I mean there's you know upwards of 30 children they're all so healthy and thriving no allergies it's just it's amazing there's something in their eyes and it's I mean I just want to spread the gospel about it and I mean I know the censorship hammer is coming down but I do feel like they wouldn't be trying this hard to stop us if if our message didn't have any weight to it yeah And I think one thing that is important to remember too, and important for us to even like vocalize here for anyone listening or anyone who follows us online, is that we're here because we care and we're here because we want everyone to have the information and the resources that they're looking for so they can feel fully informed about these things that they're making decisions about in every aspect of their life. Yeah, medical freedom, home birth autonomous birth, you know, doing anything for yourself. I mean, these are taboo topics. I mean, some of them, you know, get you kicked off. They're the third rail. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not winning over anyone that isn't receptive to it with these topics. I mean, there's so, so many people do lose so much talking about it. And I feel really grateful to have the support of my family with that because so many people have to be quiet about it. They can't talk about it. And I felt like God gave me a voice 
and I have the internet at my fingertips for the time being, and I'm just going to go hard and, and share this message because I know I'm making a dent in my little, in my little circle. You are, you are for sure. Yeah. And it makes me think of like our friend Kayla, who was like, sometimes I'm just so tired of sharing all of these things. And then you get a message from a mama who is saying thank you for telling her these things so they can tell their friends or so they can start to do their research or how it literally yeah. changed their lives. Yeah, I have so many. My husband, um, when I met him, he was a young lieutenant. And I'm thankful we've really grown in the same direction. We have so many friends that we've you know, stayed connected with. And, and there's few that I really felt I lost. And I get these messages. I mean, I told my husband, I was like, I was counting. I was like, it's over a dozen, you know, other military spouses that have contacted me, you know, over the past two years that I've really shared very vocally and told me they've stopped vaccinating their children. The youngest baby has never had any sicknesses. They haven't had to do any breathing treatments. And then, you know, they shared these horror stories that they're reflecting on when they finally put those pieces together. Right. There's some people that get really angry when they hear about parents vaccinating when you feel like all the facts are so obvious when you're on this side but yeah. you know we have blinders on for whatever reasons till whatever certain point in our life and we just can hope that our children are okay and do the best for them yeah I feel like we are already like getting really into it already and I'm excited to start talking about everything so before we start talking about vaccines and how we got there, would you mind sharing a bit about your transition into motherhood, like what your first pregnancy and birth was like versus yeah. your second, and then now being pregnant with your third, what your plans are for that? Yes. Well, I met my husband in 2010 in North Carolina, which is where I grew up, and very quickly meeting him, I, I started to do this turnaround in my point of view. I really thought I, wa I, was, I wanted to just be in academia. And when I was working as a teacher, I really grappled with how I could be a really good teacher and a good mother. And I, I used to just kind of have these anxiety attacks. I was like, I don't know how I could do that. And my husband, he, he had a, a stay-at-home mother who has the most incredible home. She's like a homemaker. And he was always like, you know, I support you in whatever you want to do, but I really would love it if our children were raised by their mother and not, you know, by strangers. And that was such a radical idea to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I almost was like, I can't do that. Like, I can't give you that much power over my life. Yeah. And that was a lot to let go of. Um, and then working in the school system, I, I very quickly became disenchanted with the system itself, the cookie cutter model, which right. that, you know, that plays into a lot of other models too. And seeing how sick the children were, and they weren't that much younger than me. And I was like, something is weird. You know, I was in you know, late 80s baby, these are early 90s right. babies. And you know, and I didn't put two and two together then about the, the vaccines. And it's obviously not only that. When we moved to New York, he deployed, and all of a sudden, I just got baby fever. Like it, I just like could not quell it. And so I started researching then about natural parenting. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he came back, I told him, and we got pregnant pretty quickly. Yeah. And I I looked at every single natural parenting book you could imagine. Ina May's books. And the medical freedom issue, the vaccine issue, it just never came up. I had blinders on to it, but I was primed and ready to have a natural birth, breastfeed, baby wear, cloth diapering, you name it. And where we were in New York, we were right on the Canadian border. There were no at-home midwives. Okay. There was, there, we lived very close to the Amish and I knew they had home births, but there was no one that would come to the house. So I just went into the hospital at 41 and one, Oh, wow. um, they told me I had a, an 11 pound baby, which <laughs> I did not, but you know, as a new mother they're you know, they're terrifying you. So I went in very naive for an induction, zero centimeters dilated. I never had any rocks and hicks. And I, I went in and they hooked me up to the monitor and they're like, look, you're having contractions. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I should stay. Okay. 
Um, Cause I was like adamant, I was gonna check myself out. And from there, it was just a cascade of interventions. You know, I wasn't progressing. So then they did Cervidil. Then I was having contraction upon a contraction without dilating. And at that point, you know, I was so nervous the night before I didn't sleep. I, I got sleeping pills and I wound up waking up every two hours screaming in pain. I don't remember any of this. I'm blacking out I'm on oxygen. I finally begged for an epidural after like 18 hours. Oh I'm at goodness. three centimeters. And, you know, with what I had okayed, you know, with the nurses, like I had to have that epidural at that point because I felt like they were going to kill me. Yeah. Um, so I slept. While I slept, they broke my water. They gave me Pitocin. Did they ask uh, to break your water? No, I remember waking up and my husband said, oh, they, they came in and they broke your water with this chopstick looking thing. And I remember just being shocked. Oh my God. Because, I mean, all these things, you know, put your baby in distress. And they didn't um, even ask like, you. No, and these were things that were on my, my list. Right. You know, I just went in so naive. I had no idea. I really thought that they cared about my plan. I mean, this was a small hospital. There weren't yeah. many mothers there. I do remember I was walking the halls at one point, and they told me to be quiet. I was making too much noise. Oh, my so, gosh. I'm a people pleaser. At least I was. I don't Not as much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a long time to process that. Finally, uh, when I were 22, I woke up and I was like, I, I felt okay. This nurse walked in wearing all his perfume and it made me so mad. And I remember sitting up trying to tell her to get out and I was like, oh. And then oh, I, so the epidural had kind of worn off at that point. I could feel because I, I got up right afterwards. Yeah, Mar I just like shot Marcus out. I <laughs> thankfully didn't tear. Marcus is my oldest. Oh, wow. And I didn't tear. And there were the redeeming moment was that I had immediate skin to skin for an hour. After that, after they weighed and measured him, uh, we discovered he had a congenital birth defect, a cosmetic birth defect, which you know was not detected on the ultrasounds. And I never processed that awful birth experience for a long time because all of a sudden, here I had this beautiful, perfect child, but he had this birth defect, which could indicate heart issues and things like that. And I just started wondering, I was like, gosh, what did I do wrong? I thought I had primed my body so well. And, you know, I didn't know anything about, you know, folate versus folic acid. And, and that really started getting me further down the rabbit hole. But motherhood itself, we, we had no issues breastfeeding. He was a wonderful baby. I baby wore him. And I had a very easy delightful time with him when it came time to you know taking him to his well visits I remember walking in and you know seeing that big chart and all those acronyms yeah I was just like oh that's that's a lot and we had this very beautiful pediatrician and she's like oh yeah but you know we these are life-saving and can't really separate them because that you know that's just a lot more needles and I just had horse blinders on to this issue. So, you know, I said, okay. And yeah, we, we went through the schedule, you know, month, every, you know, every eight weeks. And I remember eight months, we had, my son and I had flown to Colorado to see my sister. And then we were gonna drive to Louisville to see my brother for his wedding. And my son had lost a lot of muscle tone all of a sudden. He couldn't sit up anymore, sat up at six months. And, you know, he was ready for food. And I noticed that this trip, he got in a fever. And then he also just resumed tripod position and took so many photos because it was just really peculiar to me. When we got back to New York, I showed the pictures to my pediatrician. And she's like, you know what, we'll watch that called hypotonia. And then I started looking into like signs of autism. Not that he displayed any other things. It was just something that had come on my like parents' magazine radar. And a little bit of floppiness was one of the indicators. So I remember being concerned. So we lived in New York till we were till he was 12 months old, and he thankfully did not get the MMR then. He he got the he got the varicella, which I remember telling him I didn't want chickenpox, but I guess varicella didn't register. But anyway, he was an early talker. He was an early. He crawled at four and a half months. Um, he talked he crawled very four early. and a half months. Yeah, I, I all of a sudden was like, "Where's my baby?" What? And yeah, he was so engaging. And then we moved to New Hampshire October, right after he turned one. Okay. 
and at 15 months we took him in it was gonna like i will never forget this day took him in for his 15 month appointment and he got the dtap the hib and the mmr and he was always on the smaller side i remember the nurse giving me a high five because he was finally 20 pounds and it was like a light had gone off in his face he stopped looking at me he stopped answering me he stopped talking he started headbanging constantly constant self-injury he was breaking all of these little like glass panes in our French doors. He was in pain and that was January 11th. And then January 30th, his head looked like it was going to explode and he was miserable. And we took him in to the doctor and he was diagnosed with acute encephalitis. And at that point, the vaccine thing, no one made that correlation and he didn't have any more shots to get for a long time. So they didn't even didn't... mention it to you as a potential cause no. of it. No, it wasn't brought up. It wasn't until the dynamic had changed. It was harder to go out and, you know, we ate really well, but I was turning to age and, you know, change of scenery. We were in a different place mm -hmm. and we were just kind of like getting by and he was in preschool and just falling behind, not happy, screaming, head banging. And his teachers were bringing up that maybe I should get him evaluated. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that really hurt. It hurt my husband and I, but we finally were like, okay, I self-advocated because the pediatricians were just, they weren't really helpful to get him some speech therapy. And finally it took weeks and I finally was able to get an appointment. And then I think two months later, finally in an office. And at this point I was six months pregnant. I was working with a midwife for my second. How old was Marcus at that point? He was a little over two. A little over two, and you were six months pregnant. Okay. Yeah, so he was about two and a half, two years and nine months when my second son was born. Okay. I remember being in the office, and they asked me about his history of speech, and I said, you know, he used to talk, and he really just, and I said this with no agenda. I had done zero research on vaccines, but I did journal, and I said, you know, he did stop talking the day after his 15-month well check, and she wrote it down. This was the intake advisor. And then a few minutes later, after she took all our information, she walked back in with a speech therapist and an occupational therapist, and she brings it up. She goes, and mother thinks that son stopped talking after vaccines, but we all know that's ridiculous. And they all laughed. And I oh remember just, it was like a cartoon flashing light going off in my head. This isn't okay. I didn't say this with any agenda. And I was just sitting in my body was like, I'm about to bring another baby into this world. I need to look into this. And we had a neighbor. She was the one who told me about the midwife that I was working with at the time. And I asked her about pediatricians and she told me about hers, but she said, well, this one's retiring, kind of a forced retirement because she doesn't really push vaccines and we don't vaccinate our children. All of a sudden I was like, wow, I don't have to vaccinate. Because I think that was my biggest thing is I didn't think it was legal right. to not vaccinate and participate in society. And I had no idea the disparity between the schedule. You know, we got as children versus my son at 15 months had had 38 vaccines. That's more than I've had in my life. Many people do not know. They have no I idea. I remember counting and I was like 38 vaccines for a 15 month old child. I've had 31 in my whole life and I'm not all the way okay from that either. So she invited me to a local Facebook group and I started doing a little bit of research. I told my husband, I was like, you know, I think I want to pause in the vaccines. I want to look into it before we vaccinate the second baby. And he was, has always listened to me and humored me. And he was like, what about polio? You know, I've been to Afghanistan. I, I've seen polio. I was like, okay, well, let me look into it. And so I asked this Facebook group and they recommended, I think, Forrest Moretti's book, Mom yes. and the Iron Long and Dr. Suzanne Humphrey's book. And it was just mind blowing. I was like, wow, polio's never been eradicated. It's only been renamed Gian-Barre and transverse myelitis, acute plasma myelitis, meningitis even. And the iron lung's been mobilized. And, and everything that you're saying right now, there are going to be people who are listening to this episode and have no idea what you're talking about. So yeah. We're going to have to I be sharing looking, these resources. Yeah. I can't just go off of feeling if it's regarding health and justifying how I live. I needed to have tangible proof and 
you know, scientific journals. So I was like, I'm going to go find a schedule that's delayed and selective because at the time my husband was still active duty military and he was pursuing jobs that would take us to, to embassies all over the world. So I was like, I want to be compliant, make our life as easy as possible. I don't want to be a pariah. I don't want to get my kids sick. And once I started researching, I'm, it was like poking this rotting onion. I thought I was going to find ample information to support vaccination. And it was the complete opposite. It was all based on fraud and propaganda and keeping people sick. And when you do it to these babies at this rate, before they have their voice and their feet under them, I mean, you can do anything to them because they're dependent on the system forever. Before their brains are even developed, which is the thing that, for me, when I really started researching it, I'm, I'm not going to interrupt you too much, but it was just like, no, you're gonna... before their brains are even able to develop, and the fact that yeah. there are adjuvants in vaccines that cross the blood-brain barrier and just have heavy metals in their brains. That, for me, I was just like, how is nobody talking about this? Yeah, and we live close to my in-laws now, and I was very grateful when I brought it up to them. My husband was a preemie. And before his due date, he was about two months early, he had gotten his, you know, his two month shots and he had seizures. And I remember when he, when he got out of the military, we had all of his medical records and we could see, okay, what baby well visit, seizures, fevers, ear infections, baby well visit, more seizures. It was, and you know, he was born in 85. So his schedule was even less than mine. Right. And so my in-laws were very understanding and supportive, which was good. Amazing. And so initially I did plan to just do a delayed and selective schedule with Adrian. That's my second son. And I remember the, the pediatrician, they couldn't order the low dose aluminum DTAP vaccine for me. They were like, well, no one else requested, but you can go to the health department. So I went to the health department. They're like, oh, we don't have it in stock right now, but we'll call you when we do. So he was around four or five months old. And they finally call and they say, we have it. Uh, come on our vaccination day. And I went in with my little baby. And then this nurse comes out and she goes, well, we have it, but it's expired. Thank God. I mean, thank God it was expired. So because I was only going to do the ones they needed for school. So the DTAP the MMR and the polio. Like that's what I was, that's what I was planning on doing. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, you know, really do it you know, spaced out, see if there were reactions. And it was divine intervention that that happened. And right at that time, I had just discovered Jenny organically and Samantha naturally. And they had done a podcast where they addressed, I guess, a recent article that the CDC had put out and it said, Dear CDC and Who, your bias is showing. And they had made a complimentary blog with it. And that blog was so well sourced. Like everything they said in this podcast was blowing my mind. And I went to this blog. They took me to all the official, you know, PubMed data and the CDC and the Who. And I was blown away. And from that point, I just snorted the red pill. I didn't stop looking into this stuff and i'm really grateful that i found a community very soon after that because so many people do the same and they have no they have no community and no network to reach out to and i was able to see all these other thriving children and that i'm not some crazy mother i'll have to find that blog post and share it with everybody because i don't even i don't know if i've seen it but i agree with you though with people who question vaccines are immediately just made out to be these crazy people or these uneducated people. And it's so incredibly frustrating because most of the time it's people who either have vaccine injured children who have been vaccine injured themselves, have seen someone who's vaccine injured and to, and to sit there and label someone as a crazy anti-vaxxer because they have different views than you based on their own research is just so unfair. Yeah, the first thing I ever shared, and it was on Facebook, I just shared the two-month schedule. And I was like, does this seem like it's okay? I graduated almost at the top of my class in high school. I went to a huge high school. Um, we had a, you know, an international baccalaureate program. And I was always the debate team leader. I was always the person picked to lead the class projects. And I really thought, you know, the people that were on Facebook were, were going to be like, oh, that's very interesting. Like, I thought they were going to take me seriously. And the comments were just like, Claudia, I can't believe you. I thought you were smarter than this. I thought you were better than this. And I'm just like, 
hey, I want to see the science that says this stuff is safe. And meanwhile, all I share is science. And all these other people are sharing our opinion articles. And it just was really mind blowing. And I, I felt a little setback from it for a little bit. And then I, I guess once the exemption started getting taken away like in Maine, mm-hmm. that's when I was like, oh, this is too close to home. We have yeah. to start speaking up. And now, you know, with COVID, I hope more people are waking up because they see that if they remove these exemptions, then they can just keep adding shot after shot and parents will have no say. They're going to eventually come for homeschoolers too. And Mm -hmm. we have to be brave. Yeah. And I think it's loud. I think it's also too, it's like we start having these these conversations about vaccines and people think that we're crazy. And then when they actually, if they actually take the time to read the research and read the studies and read the science, there's no denying it. And there's no yeah. way that you can stop researching it once you start. It's literally impossible. No, like no I, one who looks at the ingredients and looks at a vaccine insert and the results of those studies can vaccinate with confidence. No. And I understand that every child reacts differently. And I've done a lot of research, especially on how vaccines affect males. I'm a mother of two boys. Yes. And it's mind-blowing that the higher your testosterone is, the higher the rate of neurological injury versus with females or higher rates of estrogen, we tend to store all those toxins in our fat cells. So when we go through these hormonal changes like um, puberty, postpartum, uh, menopause, that's when these, you know, our hips are opening and closing and, and doing all these, you know, amazing things. But that's when these cells start releasing all these toxins. And that's when women start experiencing a lot of autoimmunity and we're so uniquely different like my children never had any food allergies or eczema or my my son who the only one who received vaccines he never had any of those it it was just like all accumulating in his brain and then one day like the lights went out and i see that so much and it's it's hard you want to like rescue everyone it's so hard yeah, it's, I, it's heartbreaking because you just you can't like go to the playground anymore and not see like these people you like, want to help. But, you know, and people I, have to come to you at I, some point. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hardest parts about knowing all the things that we know. And this is not saying we're better than you for knowing this information. It's just that it's like we so genuinely want to share this information because we care so much and it's yeah. just, it's not viewed as that. It's viewed as, no, you're just crazy. Or there's no, no mean, way. We, thankfully, we found a really wonderful healing protocol for my son. And yes, I would it, love for you to share about that. So we found the Nemechek protocol through another mother in my son's preschool. He was repeating the same year two class. And he had gone on separate days the year prior. But we had seen him at some school events. And he seemed like very severe autism he did not speak he screamed he toe walked he flapped and his parents uh, were from turkey and this next year when he's in the same class with marcus he is singing and participating and speaking both english and turkish so i emailed his mother i said hey are you doing anything particular here with your son i've noticed he's made a huge turnaround and she immediately wrote to me and was like, yes, we're doing the Nemechek protocol. It has changed our life. I volunteered to translate this book in Turkish for this doctor. And this was a few days before Thanksgiving. I overnighted the three components of it, which are inulin, a very high quality fish oil, and California certified olive oil. It's that simple. Dosing is based on age and we started it and within two days my son started talking I'll never forget we were at the YMCA and I'd had my my second son was about three months old and I still was not awake to the vaccine issue all the way because that was more like five months we had pulled into the YMCA and I felt so overwhelmed it was still so hard to do anything with my oldest and he flipped out at the daycare all the time at the gym but I just I needed to go for my sanity and I remember we pulled in and there's a Department of Transportation building right next to the YMCA. And the one building has a like a very strange roof. And he just said, Mommy, that roof has a funny gnome hat. And this is the first <gasps> sentence he had said to me 
and I just broke down like in tears. Oh my god! I I couldn't believe it. I don't even remember. I went into the gym. I think <laughs> I think I went home. And, like, I think I went home. And then you know slowly the, the head banging dissipated, and wow. we did it for two years every day during the 65 days a year for two years finally he just kind of got resistant to taking his his we called it his brain juice he's like i don't need that anymore mom i'm fine and he he is fine he's thriving the socialization that was probably the last thing to come in where he finally was like playing with other children but and before that he really couldn't handle any music any sounds that were yeah he had a lot of sensory issues but he he's gonna live a beautiful amazing life if i have anything to do with it so that's why I fight so hard for not just vaccine stuff, it's homeschooling stuff, it's, you know, it's everything. It's, he's the reason I fight. He's my little angel. You're going to make me emotional. <laughs> <laughs> everything that you're sharing is so important because I think part of it is that people do not realize that there are so many issues that come along with vaccines as side effects because they're so normalized by yeah. medical care providers. And honestly, too, part of it, I'm not faulting medical care providers. There are some people who genuinely have no idea because it's not taught in medical school. It's not even discussed. All they say is, here's the schedule, and that's all you need to know. They don't discuss the ingredients. They don't discuss the lack of long-term safety studies. They don't discuss any of those things. And so that's why a lot of the time when parents go in and they say, hey, this started happening after my child received X, Y, and Z vaccine. And people are like, oh, it's just normal. Let's just watch it. It's because that's what they're told. They're just parroting what they're told. And it's really, once you, once you see, A, once you, like you said, once you read the inserts, then you do your research, you can't stop. And then also too, once you see all of the funding, you can't stop either. Yeah, it's, it's like that, it's a rotting onion. You just can't believe how deep the corruption is. And so many of these doctors, I mean, they go in, I know wanting to help children and help families and be there. But when you're vaccinating babies, one on the first day of life with hep B, which has so much aluminum, the vitamin K, which is not a vaccine or not a, it's not a vitamin. It's a hormone. It's a, it's got vaccine like ingredients, black box warning. Mm-hmm. And you're doing these to one day old babies, not even, I mean, and you know, you're vaccinating mothers while, you know, baby in utero. Right. And, you know, these, so many parents don't know what nor, what healthy is and what's normal is not natural for right. so many. It's, it's heartbreaking. And I've seen so many friends wake up over the years and, they're their youngest babies. It's just night and day difference. No colic, no no eczema, no allergies. I mean, some things are still normal. Like I have friends, I remember being relieved that one of our friends, like her daughter just screams sometimes like, okay, it's normal. It's <laughs> normal. normal. You know, I'm but, currently uh, in that phase right now. Lula just like, <laughs> well, just be like doing something all of a sudden she just like screams. And I'm like, why? That is so loud. <laughs> Oh, I know. My little one who's, who's never had anything. He's, I mean, he's a savage. <laughs> when we're not winning any parenting awards or, or <laughs> they're not the most polite, but oh, it's just... they're very, they're healthy. And, hmm. you know, I pray we've undone or prevented any damage for my oldest. And we're just trying to live a healthy, a healthy life. Yeah. Um, I think that's part of it too, though. Like you said, I think that people don't really know what true health is because of how far removed our society is from what's natural, from what's real. We have so much food, in air quotes, that is not actually food. And so people are consuming all of these things. Like we're talking about ingredients and vaccines, but we can also talk about all the ingredients in food that aren't actually food. We can talk about the sugars. We can talk about the food dye. And people just don't, they don't realize how much these things negatively impact our health because again, yeah. it's not shared. And it's a, it just makes me think about too, even the marketing for pharmaceuticals and the marketing for food. It's just like hand in hand. It's literally to make you a lifelong consumer. Absolutely. You know, and even my, my parents too have been very receptive when I was talking about the vaccines. And uh, my mom, she grew up, she's one of nine. She grew up on a little farm oh, wow. in Bavaria. 
And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, and I told her how I felt. Maybe it was probably the MMR that maybe had the most detrimental effect on my son. She goes, you know, we all had the measles. And my, all my, or she has six brothers. She goes, they all had a growth spurt after. And they're all in their, their late 60s and 70s now. And they're all healthy. She said the only shot they ever got was the smallpox shot. And that was the only one. And I can see their radiant health comparatively in the way they ate. Yeah. They ate seasonally. They ate with mostly what they grew. And, you know, they had to go to the market and get their bread and their, their you know, they had that on dairy farm. So right. they got their milk there. But they, you know, their bread, it went bad if you didn't eat it. <sighs> and, you know, things like that. And there was no, no excess. And they just lived vibrant, healthy lives. And even my mom who eats a more American style diet now, I still feel like she's so much healthier than her peers from that amazing foundation she had. I totally skipped over the, the home birth and how. Oh yeah, yeah let's, let's because... hop into that. Yeah, so <laughs> pregnant now with a third baby, we don't know what you're having. And no. what are your plans for this, for this birth? So this baby will be born at home just like my second child was. I am working with the same midwife. She's at her own practice now. She was working at a different practice and she's now expanded or branched off on her own. And I had a very precipitous birth with my second child. He came in about two hours. That is um, amazing. Maybe I was in denial that whole day, but <laughs> I I was up and moving and I didn't want to be I didn't want to be around anyone. But yeah, just an amazing precipitous birth. And the only thing I would change is I'd have the water warm and ready. <laughs> the tub. And I, I did have a, a little hemorrhage after, maybe because it was so fast. So I'm trying to be proactive and have some special tinctures on hand this time. So I, got, I got postpartum Pitocin, mm-hmm. which we've talked about. And... I just want to prevent that. I've made that very clear with my provider. I want to actively get up and try to get my placenta out with this next baby. But my husband's excited. He waxes poetic about home birth. And he'll talk about vaccines on the golf course. Like he, That is amazing. <laughs> he, he, he really is my biggest cheerleader. Yeah, he tells everybody, he's like, why would you go to the hospital? You can sleep in your own bed. I know. You know I know, and too, I, th- I feel like even hearing it from a husband or male perspective, you want to talk about their experience. Like, they don't like sleeping on that bed in the hospital room. They're not comfortable either, so why not <laughs> encourage, okay, everyone can be at home, your wife can rest, yeah. your baby can be there, you can eat the food, you can go to sleep in your bed. I oh, love that so much. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I've talked to so many mothers who've had both hospital and a home birth experience and I mean you wouldn't check the cervix of a tiger working with a midwifery team you know these people I remember if I did switch providers with my second very early on because they told me that my my OB would not be the one with me at the hospital they just have their own staff I was like oh strangers and just didn't sit right with me so I I found a midwife and you know, they got to know me my whole pregnancy and, you know, palpate my belly, know where the baby was. And I just had so much confidence in them knowing that if something was wrong, that we would do something proactively about it and prophylactically if we needed to. And it just showed me the birth is not an emergency, that our bodies, even if I did have an 11-pound baby, I still would have been able to birth that baby, you know, and... It was just, a, it was an amazing experience. I can't wait to do it again. I'm almost 37 weeks. So there, there's little times where I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to get this baby out of my body. <laughs> but I've just been filling my head with amazing birth stories. I've really yes. been listening to the Free Birth Society a lot this time. Love it. And I'm very grateful. I have a wonderful midwife and she, she knows to let me be autonomous and not you know interrupt my birth so many women don't have that luxury there's so few midwives there's a lot of midwives but i love hearing these stories because these women they're taking this radical responsibility to birth their babies and their power and i i can't wait i know i'm so excited i'm so excited every time i see you in your belly i'm just like Hey, little baby, be good for your mom. Help her. 
help her have a good birth. <laughs> I know. Thank you. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like it's it's so true, and I feel like thankfully there are a lot of people within this generation that are really, really using their voice. I mean, we're talking about using our voice in regards to vaccines and medical freedom for our children, but there are a lot of people who are also talking about the importance of women's rights within the birth space. And that's where, when you were talking about at the beginning of the podcast and you were talking about wanting to be a teacher, but then also really wanting to be a mom, before I had Lula, I was attending births and I was doing postpartum shifts with families. And the first time I was at a birth, I just remember being like, this is literally what I want to do. I really, really, really want to do this. And I really want, but I also really want to be a mom. So like, there's a part of me that's like, I I want to do that, but I don't think it's going to happen right now. I think like after I have all my children in the future, it will happen. But I feel like right now, just learning and supporting women, like you can do this with a midwife or however you want to do it because birth is not an emergency yes. you know we do need support it comes in many different forms and yeah I saw I remember seeing the issues within the birth space and seeing like what you were talking about when you were induced just seeing the cascade of interventions and then I remember from there I started doing research on what the medical interventions are for birth and I just I was like I feel like I can't not talk about this and then also just talking about all of the fear-mongering that goes into it, like fear-mongering for birth. And like you said, birth is not an emergency. Women have been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years. And before it was happening in hospitals, it was happening at home. Like my, I want to say, so my cousin's grandmother, she is in her 90s now. And she, I remember we were sitting at like Thanksgiving or a hol- some sort of holiday. And she was talking about how she had her babies at home and instead of using an incubator, they had the baby set up nearby an oven. And she had twins and they were small. And that is incredible. That is an incredible story that everybody should know. That is, oh, like, yeah. there are obviously some cases where you will need additional medical interventions. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for for the hospitals in those cases. But yes. So many are just so scissor happy. And, and profit you know, driven. So excited to give you that hep block and give you all those, all those medications. It was funny after my mom is a very private person. And after I had Adrian at home, she went, Oh yeah, my, your Oma, my, her mom, she said, she had all nine of us at home. And the last four, she didn't even have the midwife. Her sisters just came over and I was like, wow. You know, and so many people think everybody in their family gets C-sections and you know, or it has to be induced or has to get an episiotomy. Like these are very new things. No, most people in your family, like your your heritage is built by very amazing, powerful people who, you know, we've we've given up a lot of our power first. I think first came for convenience. Mm-hmm. And I'm an optimist and I really try with the COVID thing. I, I've seen one, so many people took their kids out of school. One, yeah. because they had to, but they realized what their kids were and were not learning and took control of that. And people, some people were birthing at home because they were scared of COVID maybe, mm-hmm. or they didn't want to be in the hospital around sick people. Or alone if they weren't allowing yeah. their husbands. Exactly, or without a court team. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there are so many things that are going to bring us back to tradition and nature and how we educate and how we bring life in Mm -hmm. I think those are two silver linings I agree more more farming or more homesteading we're learning how to how to can and make bread again I mean that's I think it's beautiful I know and I I love too what you what you said in the beginning about how your husband was like, no, like, I want you to be home with our kids. I want you to be the person that they learn from. Like that, that's just so far removed from our society in, in many ways. Yeah. But like you said, I think that there are a lot of people now who, when they had their kids home and they saw how much their children learned or how much they loved spending more time with their kids or how they have the the opportunity to work from home now because of the, all the technology we have and yeah. still be with their kids. And so I think that you said, like you said, there are a lot of silver linings that we can that we can expand upon. Yeah, now if we could just marry these aspects with community and really yes. having, you know, a, a true village, because 
It is hard with this heat wave that we've had. Yes. And my oldest one has a little summer cold. I'm feeling a little underwater and not as much support, you know, as I would love. It will get through it, but I just wish there was that community again. And I really hope we can get back to that. That's like my biggest prayer. Yeah. And I think, I think it, I have seen a lot more conversations about that, like more conversations about people really coming together and working off of what everyone has to offer. We've talked about this many times within our mom group. Yeah. Who does what and how that could help other people. Or if someone did want to go back to work, how we would take care of their kids. No, we have a true sisterhood. It's so rare. And, you know, I think we all parent very similarly. I feel like any one of you, if you saw my children doing something bad, you could get on their level and discipline them and I wouldn't be mad. I wouldn't worry about you guys hurting their feelings or, you know, causing, you know, any harm to them just coming from a place of love. Yeah. No, and it's just, I do think that, I think we're working on building community and I think it's something that's beautiful and something that we all have to look forward to. And obviously there are times where it can feel isolating. I think a lot of people are realizing the importance of building that community and having that sisterhood, having everyone there for each other. So many people, whenever we share our big group photos and pictures of our children, I wish I had that. And, you know, I I can give them some resources, but like the biggest thing is is you you kind of, you know, hide the people from the stories that you think are are just trolls, Mm -hmm. get them off your feed, start sharing some little nuggets because that's really what happened. I started sharing a few things and people in in my neighborhood even were like, oh, well, let me direct you here. And then you can, you could start building a a community. And I get told all the time of how rare it is. I'm like, we really didn't do anything that crazy. We just started getting together. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, I think people, some people are intimidated by that because of how it may seem like not the norm you know what I mean so like you said I think that it's good to just share with people what you're feeling what you're doing what's bringing you joy and see who responds to that and see how you guys can build off of that yeah it's really interesting you know the Britney Spears thing right now I mean who knows what's really behind this all but so many people I was like well you seem to support medical freedom you know (laughs) Let's open up a conversation about that. Yeah. Like you don't want the government or court telling you what to put in your body, like when you can and can't see your children. And, you know, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. Just how we can just draw these, like pull these little strings. Plant seeds, plant seeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been such an awesome conversation. I am so excited for everybody to listen to it. And I really loved listening to more of your story that I didn't even necessarily know about. Um, so at the end of each episode, I always ask my guests if they have any final pieces of advice or final words that they'd like to leave listeners with. I would just say, be brave, you know, get down to your roots. Your ancestors were brave. They crossed oceans and mountains for this life. And I think we should just be brave for our children and it gets easier. It gets easier too. And then I think part of what you touched on before, I just asked that question, just building that community and that makes it easier it makes it easier to feel confident in what you're saying and what you're sharing and knowing that you're not the only one and I think a lot of that has to do with with motherhood and becoming a mom and there's a lot of parts of motherhood that can feel overwhelming or intimidating or you feel isolated or alone and then you realize that you're not the only one if you share something and then someone sends you a message or leaves a comment and you're like oh my god thank god it's not just me feeling this way and I really I know things can feel really dire and hopeless but life does continue and I'm really excited for the future I think there's going to be so many awakened beautiful healthy poison-free children in the future that are gonna we're we're laying the foundation they're going to be the torchbearers yes great I think you're so right. I think that it's so interesting to see how children react when they're together and what they're doing and all the different things that they're doing together and see how healthy children are when they're not constantly poisoned with a ridiculous amount of 
No, and you know, these children aren't being babysat with screens. They're just so curious about the world. And the only word I really can say to describe them is they're just magic. They're magical beings because they just haven't had the, they haven't had their light blotted out. It's so true. And I just thought of this since you were talking about it earlier, but you talk about how you see the light go out of children and babies' eyes once they receive vaccines. And like you said, every child is different. So for some children, it doesn't happen. Some children, it does. But even like hearing there's a chiropractor on Instagram, he recently shared a video and he was literally talking about this baby who he had just seen weeks before and then he went to a well visit. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. he went to a well visit and then he saw him again and the, the light was in the baby's eye. It wasn't in the baby's eyes anymore. The baby wasn't following him anymore. He wasn't no, interacting I mean, with him anymore. I mean, even, you know, we have a dear friend who, her son, you know, he just finished cancer treatment and we don't know exactly what contributed to his cancer, but when you see her boys, not knowing the cancer history, they're healthy and the mom has done amazing to keep, you know, their health top notch going through this awful treatment. I, you know, I don't want to blanket statement and say all these children are all damaged. I mean, I think it's amazing that we were able to wake up. We were probably pretty calcified and, yeah. you know, didn't want to go against the grain and it took a lot of unlearning. Yeah. It took but a lot. when you, when you love your children and you're presented with these facts, it's it's really hard to continue to turn a blind eye. I think it's just important to, again, say this is not us saying we're saying that we're better than you in any way. It's just us trying to open, open your eyes, plant seeds, and share information and share resources so you can oh, really feel... So you can really feel like you know what's going on in the world and what's going on yeah. with your children and even yourself too. Well, that was an awesome episode. I already said that I'm so excited for people to hear it and I cannot wait to hear the feedback. So the last bit I always ask people is, would you mind sharing where people can find you if they wanted to reach out? Yeah, I'm, I'm largely active on Instagram. I'm at Claudia with boys. And we'll see if the boys, we <laughs> with boys and girl. <laughs> I think it's a girl. I really think it's a girl. I think so too. I keep having dreams about a girl. Oh, but do you? I feel like I just can't get my hopes up on that because I'm I love little boys too. So it will be it'll be great either way. Yeah. I, I told my husband, I was like, I can't promise I'm done if this is a boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my other friend, my friend Sarah. She has three boys and she didn't find out for her for her most recent baby that she had and it was another boy. And she we were talking today and she's like, "Yeah, I just I feel like I just have to try again just to see if I can have a girl." <laughs> I know, but then you're going to have four boys, you know? Yeah. But that's what she said. And she said, you know what? And if I'm destined to have four boys, then I'm destined to have four boys. It's like, yeah. I mean, as long as you're okay with it. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on. I am so excited for everyone to hear it. I'm so excited right. for you and the baby. And I can't wait to see you again soon. Thank you listeners for joining us. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode. As always, if you have any questions for myself or for Claudia, feel free to reach out. And we will talk to you all soon.